You ever filled a cup up too far? Uh, you ever had a kid fill a cup up too far? Right? What happens, right? It gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. Even if you try, if you do it and, and you pull it out from the fridge, right, and you just sit it down, it gets out and it gets on everything around it. What gets on everything around it? Whatever's inside of it. Whatever's in the cup comes out and it gets on the things around it. And that's what he's talking about. John the Baptist was not known for mincing words. He had a job to do. He had been commissioned by heaven to make straight the paths of the Lord. A new way, a new message was coming and the Messiah would deliver it. You've joined us for message number 12 entitled The Next Right Thing of the series Luke, The Gospel Truth. This is Faith Life. And now, Pastor Chris Bartlett. So me and Jerry get together and we plan the preaching schedule for, for some time in advance. And so we just kind of kind of put uh, sermon titles and scriptures and like, like if, if he's going to be gone or, or different things, you know. And, and so he was looking at, like we were looking together at this Luke series that we've been going through. And, and, and he said, is there any uh, of the passages coming up or or, or anything that kind of jumps out at you? Is there a date or anything that, that you might want to want to do? And, and I was like, you know, no, not really. I just want to fit in, you know, wherever you need me. If you're going to be a time you're gone or, or whatever. And he said, there's not a passage. And I was like, no, not, not really. Just, just whatever. I'm, I'm open to anything. And so he looked ahead and he knows that I love to crack jokes and, uh, you know, kind of lighthearted and, and, and those kind of things. And so he picked out... You brood of snakes. Like, like he couldn't have given me the one, you know, I lost a kid, you know, he couldn't have given me that one. He gave me this one. And, and so we're going to pick up in, in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to look through 14. And we're going to see what, what, uh, what John's ministry, John the Baptist, his ministry looks like as he prepares the way for the Lord. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? And so in my journey, I've taken seminary courses literally all over the world. Um, I spent some time in England and then and, and Duke and I, you know, all these different places. And, and in every one of them, whenever they're talking, you know, and most of them, they say there's a few things that are important about growing a church. And, and first, they say it's important about a location. And so last week, Jared talked about how John went out to this deserted wilderness and just started preaching. So it's not Main Street and you know, and, and so, but, but, but as you see, the crowds began to come. But the second thing they tell you is you need to be relational and kind and friendly. And, and so in our context here, we, you know, sometimes we say, turn around and greet the people around you, you know, or, or we try to be at the door and, and say, hello, how you doing? And then we always say, welcome to church, you know, glad you're here and just kind of set that tone. We have coffee and donuts and we do that so that that fosters conversation and helps create community and a welcoming place and everything and so John he he opens with you brood of snakes who warned you about the upcoming wrath you know he must not have listened in class or, or read any of the books um, but but that wasn't his goal you know John's goal was to prepare the way for Jesus ministry and he probably could not have picked a better opening line for this. 
the people had come because they had hopes of salvation by means of mercy and grace. But he opens with this. And so here it looks like he's, he's saying this to the whole crowds, but, but Matthew, he gives us a little more to this story than, than we get here in Luke. Um, uh, in Matthew 3, 7, it says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? So John's language is strong. And the people were kind of used to that because, because they'd had all these Old Testament prophets who would speak in this same kind of dialogue, who came before him. And so the crowd kind of knew this. And so John the Baptist, he refers to God's anger, not God's kingdom. And his question, his question suggests that while they're coming to be baptized, which is the right thing to do, but what is your motive? Why did you come? And so, uh, in, in the context of where they were, um, it's a very dry place, kind of a parch, uh, you know, kind of place. And, and so, a fire would spring up, and we saw this in the California and the Canadian forest fires. And as the fire would push, the snakes would come out, and they would invade the places where they lived because they were running from the coming wrath of a fire. And so this is the imagery that he is speaking of. And as he says this, you can feel tension building between what was and what is coming. What was and what will be. And you feel this start to build. Isaiah 43, 19 says, I am doing a new thing. Now it's going to spring up. Don't you even see it? I am making a way in the wilderness, and I'm going to put streams in a wasteland. And so John, he, he, he's saying there's a new thing that was happening. And we know we've got hindsight of what's coming. We know Jesus is on the way and the ministry and all the miracles and the, and the salvation that he gives us by way of the cross. And, and, we, and we know that because we have hindsight. But, but they didn't. And they could feel this turn, the turn of a page, the turn of a moment, the change on a dime. And they did not like it. He began to flip things upside down. Or as my favorite commentator says, he really turned things right side up. The people were used to following a strict set of rules and laws. And inside of those rules and laws, it involved, it involved power and money and control. But there was never a call for a change of heart. And, and, and so, so they had come, to, come here. Uh, they'd come to hear what John had to say. There was this excitement. And so excitement brings the crowd. And so there's this excitement. And, and so they'd come to hear what John had to say and to be baptized. They had no intention of changing their heart. They were simply trying to cover their basis. Well, I'll go get baptized if that's what you're supposed to do. But there wasn't a call for a heart. You know, they, were, they weren't wanting to change their heart. And I'm reminded, you know, I had a, uh, one of my uncle, I had an Uncle Buck before the movie was out. You know, <laughs> like when he came out, like, you've made it. And really, it was a lot like him. But uh, 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 he, I loved him. I'd go over to his house, and he had this little coffee table, and I'd sit in his chair, and he'd be in the middle of the couch. I don't know why he sat in the middle, but he always sat in the middle of the couch, and he'd smoke a cigarette, right? And that one eye would be closed. And I loved him. He had the, the small Coca-Colas in the glass bottle and little packs of, of peanuts. And you know what happened from there, right? 
Uh, you could see why he was one of my favorites. But he would tell me these stories. He would always tell me these stories. And so he told me about this guy who was drafted into the army, into Vietnam, the same time that he was. And he said one day they were getting ready to go out, and he noticed that the guy had on three different necklaces. And he noticed these necklaces, and he noticed that one of them was a Christian cross, and the other one was a Catholic saint's medal, and then the third one was the Jewish Star of David. And so my uncle questioned, why are you wearing all three of them? And he said, I'm not going to take any chances. Right? So he was covering his basis. Uh, this is what was happening with the people in the crowd. They didn't want change. They were simply trying to cover their bases. And John could see straight through it. The snake that he's talking about, and, and, uh, and the people were very familiar with were pit vipers. They were very small, very poisonous, very deceptive kind of snakes. You know, they would stretch themselves out straight, and they would look like just a common stick laying on the ground. Uh, and if something or someone would wander by, they would strike. We hear this uh, uh, in Acts as Paul is gathering firewood as he's stranded on Malta. And he's gathering firewood and one of the sticks he grabs is a pit viper and it bites him. And they say, surely he is going to die. And, and the God has judged him, right? And, and he doesn't die. And they say, oh, well, maybe he's a God, you know? And, and so that story is in Acts. So it's that kind of snake that he's talking about. Most of these religious leaders of this time... Uh, we're not so much worried about real life change, just that people followed rules and they obeyed the laws, they paid their apportionments and their penances. And John, he jumps into it and he addresses it head on. He says, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. Because this means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce a good fruit will be chopped down and thrown to a fire. So it never really lightens up. I mean, John's just going. And his words, his opening words are harsh. And rightly so. The Pharisees had, had become so far off center from what their call was. They had wandered so far from where, where uh, they had been, been, been told or, or, or even what the scripture had said. And in the process, they had drugged many unsuspecting people with them. Many people who were desperate in need and wanted to reach God had been deceived and poisoned by these people, and John knew it. And really, a lot of the people knew it, but they were afraid because of the power and the control. And, and so John, oh, Jared called oh, harsh John last week, right? Like, he was, remember he had the camel skin on and all this, right? Uh, 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 he, he's going to get them, right? He's going to bring it to them. And, and I was thinking about this, and I was wondering what kind of, like, like, how far would he get today preaching this in a church, you know? Like, like, like him just, just jumping in and, and getting it. And, and I think that's why we thank God for gentle Jesus, right? We, we sing the song, gentle Jesus, right? Meek and mild. Why don't you hear what Jesus says to this same type of crowd? 
We're going to look at Matthew 23, and I'm not going to have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. And, and I want you to hear what gentle Jesus says to this same kind of crowd. And really that whole chapter unfolds this, but I'm just going to jump in at about verse 14. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You shut the door on the kingdom of heaven in people's face. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over the land and over the sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, you're blind. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. You're fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by an oath. You're blind. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anybody who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the very one who dwells in it. Anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Their justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You're blind. You strain the gnat out, but you swallow the camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You're blind. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also become clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead men and everything unclean. In this same way, on the outside, you appear like people as righteousness, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and you decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we'd have not taken part in them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? This is Jesus. This is what he says. And you look at it and you say, well, that's a different spin on the what would Jesus do bracelet, right? Uh, but, but in this you hear the echoes of what John has said in this opening dialogue. And, 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 and you hear Jesus and his call for this repentant heart. And you see that John is not just saying that we have a problem. He's saying there's coming a solution. The problem is, is nobody could ever be good enough. 
Nobody could ever be good enough to achieve the kind of righteousness that they felt it took to be clean, to be considered to be clean, and they knew it. And so they would put a weight on sin and what they would think. They'd say, well, I'm not as bad as them, right? Or, 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 or I'm in a better place than they are. At least I am not that. But we find in Romans 3 that there is no one righteous, not even one. But they, and sometimes we, think that we are. We think that we're better off than the other person because maybe we've done a thing or maybe we attend a study or maybe we read our devotion every day and we think that we are in a better position because of that thing we did or something that we've said. You're listening to Faith Life with Pastor Chris Bartley from New Beginnings Fellowship Church in Pikeville, Kentucky. This is message number 12 of the series, Luke, the Gospel Truth. Let's return to the sermon as Pastor Chris Bartley continues his message on God's servant who spoke from the wilderness. Make straight the paths of the Lord. The things that we do are a direct reflection of what is happening inside of our hearts. We don't give money to a project or a mission or a ministry because we want to be saved. We give it to them because we are saved and we want to see more people come to the Lord. The psalmist, this is probably one of my favorite things, he says it like this, he says, my cup runs over. You ever filled a cup up too far? Uh, you ever had a kid fill a cup up too far? Right? What happens, right? It gets everywhere. It gets everywhere. Even if you try, if you do it and, and you pull it out from the fridge, right, and you just sit it down, it gets out and it gets on everything around it. What gets on everything around it? Whatever's inside of it. Whatever's in the cup comes out and it gets on the things around it. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about when my cup overflows, I want it to overflow with the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I want it to get on the people and the things and the stuff around me. John 15 says it like this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Love. It comes down to that. It comes down to love. Love each other. This is my command. Just love each other. Right? Love God. Love others. Love. That's the basis of this. So, so what kind of fruit? He's talking about going and bearing fruit. So what kind of fruit? We look at Galatians, and, and it says... But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. And so the rest of this list flows through this word, love. All the rest of them exist because love exists. So it says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We produce these fruits inside of Jesus, but they're not for us. They're for the people around us. They're not for us. They're for others, like, like, like the fruit of any good tree, that any good tree produces fruit. It is not for the tree's sake. It is for the sake of those who walk by. 
It is for those who pass by. The fruit is offered so that others can benefit from it. So notice the fruit it does, it starts with love and everything else comes through it. John's worried that people think that they're safe because they belong to a certain group of people or they've been, they've been circumcised or they, they followed this, 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 this course or this, this rules or this, this regimen and, and, and they're on a crash course and he knows it. They are on a crash course with a day of judgment that they're not going to be prepared for. We were doing this Bible study one time, and uh, I, I don't remember what it was or, or anything. But I remember me and my wife were, were going through it with a group of students, and, and, and it asked this question. It said, if you were accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to condemn you? If somebody goes to your work, if somebody went to your school, if somebody went, went to, the, to your friend group, if somebody went to the places that you go and you, you were talking about them and they say, how do you know them? You say, well, we go to church together. They say, what, they, they go to church? Right? What is the fruit that's coming from your life? Because the fruit you bear grows straight from, 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 from the way of your heart, the condition of your heart, then there's this warning. There's this warning of this axe, right? This axe uh, is ready, already at the root of these trees, and it's going to cut it down. What, what is he saying? He said there's a coming judgment, and it's just around the corner. So they ask, what should we do then? John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. An intimate relationship with God is, is about far more than, than just merely enjoying warm feelings as, as we're singing or gathering. Uh, it is far more than any, any uh, thing that we would feel. Any genuine love for the Lord will move a person to perform real acts of love toward others. What happens is it stirs people's hearts. And we're created in His image and we're called to live in His image. He is a giver and we're called to give. What are we called to give? Whatever's needed. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's a shoulder. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's mercy. Sometimes it's forgiveness. Sometimes it, 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 it could be anything. But He calls us to do this. James 2. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Your life testifies of your belief. If you go to the pool, you're not going to jump in the deep end if you don't believe you can swim. If you believe you can swim, you don't care to jump. So your life testifies of what you believe. The tax collectors come to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to. 
So the tax collectors were hated. I mean, they were probably the most hated people uh, of the day. Um, and, and the reason being is you would go to your boss and you would get paid and you would take this money and you would walk over here and you would pay a tax. You would have to let go of that money. They would say, and how much was the money? Whatever the tax collector told you. Like, like, like there was a certain amount that Rome required, but the tax collectors would pile on a little fee, a little something for me, and, and, and they would do that. And so the people hated these tax collectors because the pain of letting this money go was real, right? And, and I think today they figured that out, right? And so they take it before we get it, and, and that way it don't hurt so bad, and you don't feel it, right? But, but these tax collectors embodied everything that was oppressive about this government, and it was real people doing a real thing to real people who needed a real thing. And most of them were dishonest because they would collect way more than was required. I mean, they got a salary, but still they were used to this just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And they would become very, very wealthy off of, of the overpaying of these taxes from the people. And he's telling them, he just says, just go back to your booth and just collect no more than the prescribed amount. And this, this is going to be a witness to the people. How? Because word's going to get out. If somebody's going to be honest at doing this, word's going to get out. And then, and then more and more people is going to want to go to this guy because he's going to be cheaper. If I have to pay taxes, I'm going to pay it at the cheapest place. We see people moving from state to state to get into cheaper tax brackets and things even today. And so this is what would happen. These people would, would go to, to, to this guy and, 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 and they would say, how, how come you're cheaper? Why are you cheaper? Why are you doing it this way when everybody else is doing it a different way. And he would be able to tell them because God has done a work in my life and I've been made new and I've been made different. I'm a new creation. And this is for you too and you need to know this and feel this because you're going to go back to your house and you're going to be different because of this. And John said, just go do what is fair and what is honest. It was so radical. It was so radical for a tax collector to be fair and honest that, that the people, they would definitely ask those questions and it would give them the opportunity to tell them about a work that God has done in, in their life. Then the soldiers come. They say, what should we do? He tells them, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, be content with your pay. So John the Baptist didn't tell him, you know, uh, go get into another profession, you're doomed where you are. He did, however, instruct them to just act justly and mercifully with anybody who fell under their authority. Now, they had a lot of power, and with power often comes abuse, and they could even command people to carry their load, to carry their 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 sleeping things and their backpacks and all their things that they would have, they could, they could just, just command somebody and they had to stop what they were doing and carry their load for a mile. The Roman soldiers had this kind of authority. In Matthew 5, 41, uh, Jesus says this. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. So, so a, a Roman soldier could do, he simply had to pull his sword out place it on your shoulder, and you had to do what he said. 
You were forced by Roman law to stop what you're doing and carry uh, his stuff for a mile. He couldn't make you go any beyond that, but Jesus says do it. Jesus says go two. Uh, uh, stop what you're doing and carry his stuff, but not just carry it one, carry it two miles. And he knew that, that it would give you an opportunity to be a witness to that soldier, not just for one mile, but for two. You would have an extended opportunity because, because uh, you were stuck with him, but he was stuck with you too. And so you could use this time to witness to the, show, to the soldier. Soldiers were very intimidating. And, and they represented the strength and the power of Rome to the people. Whenever they showed up, it was like the government itself had just rolled onto the scene. And so, so here, in this dialogue, John the Baptist makes two statements that are, are, are really problematic. Uh, he says, don't make false accusations and be content with your pay. He didn't say, leave the place because because all this is going on. No, he didn't say quit the army. He also didn't tell the tax collectors, you better just give up being a tax collector because you're never going to do any good there. He didn't say that. He simply says, do the next right thing. Exactly where you are, go, go to where you're called to be and do the right thing. And, and, and so when you come to the Lord, you don't have to quit your job or change uh, everything about, you know, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to leave whatever to, uh, to be able to go into ministry. Just do what's right. Do what's right right in your job. Do what's right right in your home. Do what's right wherever you go. If you've been crooked, straighten up. If you've been cheating people, quit cheating. Just do the right thing where you are. And let me tell you, this is so radical in a self-centered society that says build up your kingdom, that whenever you start building up the kingdom of God, people's going to notice and they're going to wonder why. And this gives you what? The opportunity to tell them, I've been changed by Jesus and he can change you too. My wife said a couple of weeks ago in, uh, in youth group, she said, your faith is personal, but it's never private. Be a difference maker right where you are. Now, now, let me say this. Not every profession glorifies God. Like, you cannot glorify God and be in a drug cartel. Like, you just can't do it. You can't glorify God and take part in, in these illegal things. If you're involved in something illegal, stop it. Because that's going to be a witness. And this, it just leads you down a path of destruction and it drags everybody around you down it with you. But for the most, you have an opportunity, an opportunity to make a significant difference exactly where you are, in classrooms, in courtrooms, in hospital rooms, in offices, in hallways, in elevators, in, in trucks, in stock rooms. For some of us, it's go home and be a difference in our house. God has called you right here, right now, to make a difference in some kind of situation or in somebody, and I don't want you to miss it. If you're like me, I remember reading this passage many years ago, and, and, and I had questions. I mean, I had questions. I had serious questions about it. The first being, how do I do it? 
How do I create change? How do I do it? How do I go back to my job or my school or my friends or my home and, and do this? How do I do this in light of the social pressure that's put on me in the places that I am? How do I go to school and not run with that crowd anymore? How do I go to work and not be a part of those kind of jokes? How do I do this in light of everything? What happens next? Where do I go from here? When I was in marching band, I um, played a lot of music growing up. I was a percussion major and, and stuff, and so I find myself in a lot of different situations. I'd be in marching band or orchestra or different ensembles, you know, and, and, and there was this kind of routine that would just kind of happen, and maybe you've seen this, right? Before we would play a concert or a show or do anything like that, there would be this time of just random playing. Uh, uh, everybody would be warming up and they'd be doing it individually and it sounds exactly like chaos. There's not a certain thing or a certain note or a certain anything. It's just that. Some do scales, some play songs, some would do like note runs, some loud, some quiet, whatever. But then there's a moment where everything stops. And then one instrument plays a note, and it's usually a, an oboe, the first oboe or the first clarinet, and they do that because they're kind of in the middle and everybody can hear. Uh, but so, 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 so that instrument, they, they'll play a note, and they usually would play middle A. And they do this because of the stringed instruments. All stringed instruments have an A string. And so they would do that so the stringed instruments could be in tune as well. And, and, and the frequency of middle A is 440 hertz, 440. And you hear musicians say that sometimes, tune to 440. You know, and, and, and if you have a tuner or an oscilloscope or, or, you know, they got these tuners on top of the guitars and you'll see them up here, as, you know, right, tuning in. Uh, and they're tuning to frequency 440. So this primary instrument plays an A. And, and not just sound happens, but frequency happens. 440. A wavelength. Then every player in the band or the orchestra, they play their instrument and they tune to that. They tune to that note. Everyone listens to the sound and then they tune to the same frequency. They all get on the same wavelength. You can hear it if you're not in tune, but also you can feel it. Your instrument will vibrate, and whenever it gets in tune, it smooths out. And they do harmonics on guitars a lot of times and, and bass, and they'll just pick the string and you hear it, whoa, 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 and you hear it come into tune. The vibrations come together. So, when we're trying to accomplish something, uh, uh, something for God's kingdom, like do the next right thing, right? Be a difference maker. We need to get in tune. We need to get in tune with the Spirit, with the Word, with the voice of Jesus. And so in band, when the conductor comes out and he raises his baton, they simply play. They all play. Um, they're, they're, they're all playing a different part, but they're all in tune. 
And that's what God's inviting us to. He, he invites us to do the next right thing. And it's not just about a discipline or, or an event or an exercise in our Christian walk. It's about getting to the point where we can hear the sound of God and, and then we tune our life to the sound of His voice. We tune our life to that frequency. Now, I might go play a different part than you play. Like, like, like my role, my part might look different than your role and your part. We may even be doing very different things. You might have a rest when I need to run. I might have to hold while you move fast. I might be called to be in the background while you take the lead. But we're all in tune. We're all in tune to the same spirit, to the Holy Spirit of God. So how do we get in tune? Through prayer, His Word, and coming together as a community of believers. We might not always agree on everything, but we're always going to be together fighting the good fight, and we never give up. Here's the sand. Here's the charge. Here's the, the end of this. Go make a difference. Go make a difference. Get in tune with God and go be the difference that the world needs. You can sit in this church and miss it. You can sit and not get 440. One time after church, Beck was talking to me, and she was sitting right back there in the back in the middle. And, and she was talking to me, she's like, you know, she wasn't singing on the team that day, and she was back there, she's like, man, spirit was so moving, I could feel, felt like I could reach my hand out and touch it. It was so good today. And I said, oh, it was same, you know. And, and she walked away. Somebody else overheard us and they said, well, it might have been her, but where I was, there was two people beside of me on their phone answering texts and scrolling social media. Proximity is not equal to spirituality. You can be so close and still not hear the note. And God is inviting us to listen and to hear the note and to become in tune. Uh, that, that's what he's really inviting us to do today. He's not just invited us to this gathering. No, and, and let me tell you, we're thrilled that you're here. And we love it that you are here. But this is not the goal. The goal is not that he just invited you to this event. He's inviting you to a voice, to a frequency. And the frequency is about connecting to the creator of the universe in a way that you get locked in and you become in tune. That's the invitation. Maybe here today you want to take this bold step and to be a difference maker. We would love to go on this journey with you. We would love to come up here and pray over you and to give you tools and equipment, to give you encouragement, to help give you guidance and whatever that's going to look like in the change you're going to be wherever you're going to go. Maybe you say, I don't know how to lead my kids in a devotion. 
Man, I'd love to give you a book. Maybe you say, I don't know what to do when I show up at work tomorrow. We would love to talk to you about like, like how can you just show up and be different? How can you be changed from the inside out? How can you not be a whitewashed tomb? You can be different. We would love nothing more to lock arms with you and go through this journey. Maybe you're here and you say, I've never accepted Jesus. Like I know him. Heard about him to VBS when I was little. I, I, I know that he's real, but I've never really called on his name and called him my savior. And there's a group here that would love to pray with you and take you by the hand because that very first step could quite possibly be the hardest one. There's nothing we would love more than to be that encouragement and to help you as you journey through this life. I'm going to pray. They're going to sing. This altar's open. If that's you today, don't let a second pass because today could be the day of salvation for you. I think God move in, in crazier ways than this, and I think He's going to move today. Father, I pray right now that if there's somebody here who needs to take this bold step, who needs the courage to, to, to stand up uh, and not just stand up for standing up's sake, but stand up for your sake, Father, I pray that you give them the strength and the will and, and the courage to do it, Father. I pray that if there's anybody here who, who has not called you their Savior, that not another second ticks. Um, that they, that they put it off another second. Father, I pray. I pray over this place. I pray over our hearts, over our lives, over our places that we're going to go, that you go before us and you make us uh, uh, be the disciples that you've called us to be. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Faith Life. Faith Life is a ministry of New Beginnings Fellowship Church located in Pikeville, Kentucky. You can find us on the web at www.nbfc.church or look for us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to Faith Life Podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms and download each weekly episode. Join us next week as Pastor Jared Arnett delivers the 13th message in our series entitled One Mightier Than I. Again, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week as we walk the Faith Life.